Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 7th of March 2013. I always suggest to newcomers to help themselves to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find lots and lots of audios for free download that starts to get you to understand. It's a long process to understand the big system you're born into. The one that you take for granted because it simply exists, therefore it must be normal. That's how everyone is born into this system. We accept everything that's there because it wouldn't be there if it wasn't normal. Sim- simple as that. That's the, the logic behind it. And those who run the world have always understood this too. And they give you your realities from the very beginning. Every generation gets them. Everyone gets their indoctrination very early on to, to get them ready for the changes that they will uh, see accomplished throughout their lifetime. And, and they're already ready to adapt to the big changes as well. All kinds of changes. Cultural, everything. Believe you me. So help yourself, as I say, to the audios. Remember, too, you can get transcripts for prints up, too, from all the sites listed at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And you can go into Alan AlanWattSentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. And you are the audience that bring me to you. As I say, I don't bring on uh, advertisers as guests. I have no shares, nothing that's sold at all. All I have is the books and discs, my own ones at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And the books are interesting to get started off on the art of conology, because that's what it's called, conology, the art of running the world through cons and conmen, confidence tricksters. Because that's what really uh, the boys at the top really are. With all their, the letters behind their names and all the rest of it, they're just confidence tricksters. And it works awfully well. So as I say, uh, you can buy the books and discs, uh, and you can also donate, hopefully, uh, because we're going through austerity now. We're into austerity, quantitative easing, or uh, inflation, as your currencies all drop. That's the plan to get you into austerity. That was planned long before the bank crashes came along. Uh, Post-industrial, post-consumer society, and an authoritarian society. You've got all of that there now in the Western countries because uh, we're post-consumerists because um, uh, you just can't afford the items you used to buy with your spare pocket money. It's all gone. And so you have to literally um, start to pay extra for all energy, of course, and food, everything is going to up in the rise as the currency is is worth less and less. So as I say, you can, do, you can do that. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, to purchase the books and donate, you can use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office. You can send cash or use PayPal. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. But most folks just say, take everything for granted, everything for granted, very few question the reality at all. Sometimes they get an inkling something's wrong with some story that seems so far-fetched from the mainstream. Uh, you can't figure out the, the whys and the wherefores of it all. And even then you dismiss it because you can't figure it out. You don't realize you're living through a big, big agenda. An agenda that's written in 50-year plans, 100-year plans for different facets of the agenda. And if you go into the United Nations, you'll see they use the same techniques with, with the long-term planning for different countries across the globe. 
and your own countries are doing the same thing too. Because the boys who run the world and set up this reality with their power structure were the top international bankers of their day, forming a private club, Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, just another branch of them. And they literally have put in your presence in prime ministers across the world for the last hundred years. And that comes from their own personal historian, because they have their own version of history, since after all, they make it. They lead you into the future, and they make the history. And that's how bad it really is. And most folk are quite content, mind you. Their indoctrination has worked incredibly well on them. They're happy. They've got lots of entertainment, more than they've ever had in in, in previous generations. And as you go down the tubes, as long as they can have the entertainment, anything can be done to them. They don't care. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix. As I say, we live in a in a fantasy world, really, most folks have eaten so much fiction, they've digested so much fiction, they can't tell reality half the time from the fiction. And you even find that with the young youngsters I've read about recently, all the thousands of youngsters, even five year to ten years old, who are raping their children because they watch all this pornography. And they think it must be all quite natural since they see adults doing this, so they, they try it on, on the, those closest to them. Uh, things like that. They're, they're literally in a fantasy world. They don't know what's right, wrong. Of course, those at the top who control the system uh, will tell you through their own capitalistic system that uh, there is no right and wrong. Something always benefits from every misfortune, basically. But anyway, most folk never question the reality, and they, they think that all the special people above them must simply be there because they deserve to be there. It's a very, very simple process most folk go through. And again, too, your, 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 <laughs> your, your basic education in the average school, the public school system, uh, keeps you in the dark, too. It's not there to educate you, to keep you, uh, to, to indoctrinate you into their fake reality and, your, and to get you to learn your place in the system, which is generally around the bottom. Whereas the very high Ivy League schools is a completely different setup altogether, the private schools uh, that they have in, in the universities as well, because uh, they're, they're given a, they're actually encouraged to think and reason. They're taught logic and they're taught reason, and the art of debate and rhetoric. Uh, they're taught that, and they're encouraged. They're encouraged to speak in classes, whereas the average public school system is shut up and listen and repeats, and that's it. Very simple, isn't it? And so you grew up thinking you just shut up and repeat things and that you know everything there is to know. It doesn't ever occur to most folk they're being kept in a tunnel, basically, a dark tunnel that will never lead to the outside. And that's the problem. That's called perfect indoctrination. Others have written an awfully, awfully good series on this education system, why it was developed. Because those at the very top who designed this world system, where they take over the entire world, also obviously had to take over the schooling systems and change them, dumb everybody down. And Charlotte Isabel did good uh, books and writings on that. You'll find her online. And John Taylor Gatto as well did uh, some excellent stuff and put good books out on this process. It's, it's actually documented how to dumb uh, whole nations of children down. Until, and so they'll never figure out the truth or what reality even is. They'll simply work, pay taxes, wonder why they never get ahead in life. It's not meant that you get ahead in life. 
you see. You do all the right things, you'll save up in some bank account or something as to keep devaluing your money because it's a built-in system of devaluation. Uh, the big boys themselves invest their money and the, the money's invested uh, at a very high interest return rate and they invest in, in, in various projects across the world uh, and they use the IMF as an example to do so uh, in the United Nations. Those third world countries are paying back incredible interest rates on all their loans and that's what they call working capital. It brings in a lot more money uh, in a very short time. Sometimes it's 140% or more. And with Moody's and the big boys, when they devalue your country, because they work with the big top money lenders, it's, it's great too for the ones who still lend to your countries because your, your countries are all borrowing money to get by month by month. And of course, as you devalue uh, your status rating for, for borrowing, then whenever, whenever you borrow something, the interest rate goes up. Compound interest goes up. It's fantastic. You are slaves to bankers. And no one's ever explained why you've got private central banks running your countries, basically. Your prime ministers, your presidents must go cap in hand every, every so many months now uh, and ask for more loans, you see to these guys. So the, the guy who owns the money can, and controls the system controls the entire country and everybody beneath it, all the way down to the bottom. Very simple. And again, we're taught that this is somehow normal, like gravity. They're just there like gravity. And of course, nothing's further from the truth. Nothing is further from the truth at all. Some countries used to have their own uh, systems where they created their own money and they sold that money to the bank for about 10 cents extra on the dollar. And that paid for all their printing and, and their keeping and so on. And then the banks would loan it out and so on to the public. Now it's the other way around. Now the governments actually borrow the money from private banks. And we think this is normal. And you wonder why you keep uh, getting bank crashes, etc. The, the private boys who run the world have always believed they're too big to fail. Always known this. Once they have, as I say, the prime ministers or presidents coming cap in hand for cash, they own the system and they know it. They know it. And um, anyone who tries to change that system in the past has either been, had attempted assassination or they have been assassinated. So that's the power of, of the system that really runs the world. And it will never change, never change. All the, the hell that's coming will never change into the planned society until you, you literally kick them all out of the banking systems and, and nations start, uh, again, printing up and creating their own cash. Very, very simple. Kick them all out. And you don't, you don't let them back in to manage the government system either then. Because they'll do the same thing with that. Now, we also know too that, uh, there's many books being written on assassinations. Uh, and I've, I've followed quite a few, uh, big assassinations over many years. And I can remember in Britain when uh, a, a Russian defector from the Soviet system came to London. He was uh, he, he was coming down in the elevator from his, his his hotel, and in the elevator, a man with an umbrella uh, just tapped him on the back of the of the leg, and it fired into him a tiny tiny even tinier than a BB pellet into him. And under when the guy died naturally, uh, luckily a, a very astute person found this tiny little red mark, just very very small, like a pinprick, in the back of the leg, and he dug into there and found this tiny tiny little pellet. It under the microscope had little holes in it, and it secreted a, a very effective poison. 
a natural autopsy would, would just say that he died of heart failure. His heart just packed in. And that would be the end of it, you see. So they've been in the business of assassination. Actually, the art of assassination is ancient. It's absolutely ancient. Because powerful people always had around them the cadres of advisors, the Machiavellian types, who also had to know people, and it's a smattering as well, but people who actually, their living came from assassination. Because even the ancient Romans used this amongst their higher elite in the families. Some of the families used it on each other and killed each other off, great poisons and so on. So nothing has changed in that matter. Now, after the, uh, the British government found out about this one with the umbrella, the umbrella, uh, fired the BB shot, they, they, they hunted down because they knew who it would be, and they hunted the guy down. He'd fled his hotel, but they, he left behind a briefcase with uh, literally a, a witch's brew of inhalers, various other things for killing people instantly. And uh, it, was a, it was a death set, basically. It was like a briefcase of death. Very efficient stuff. And we also know that uh, during the Cuban crisis as well, uh, and uh, with the CIA, etc., working, trying to kill off Castro, they, they, they sent them over gifts, under, under anonymous names, these little, little gifts for the president. Uh, one was a pipe, a smoking pipe, I think it was, and, and it was impregnated with... Uh, with radioactive material. They did the same thing because he knew that he dyed his beard and they, they, they sent over stuff for his next batchment. The same stuff he always used to dye his beard and uh, it also was radioactive, but it was caught. It was never used as far as we know. So they've used things like that for a long, long, long time. And uh, you'd be surprised how many folk get bumped off every year. Uh, it doesn't have to be up, up top either, very high people. Anyone down below who catches on to the game or becomes a nuisance, or has the, what Bart Bertrand Russell said, the ability to to persuade others, the art of persuasion uh, through through understanding and so on. Um, they had to be they would have to be eliminated. Bertrand Russell said, in this new world order, and of course it does happen all the time. Now, here's an article here, and it's from the Guardian. It says cancer, the secret weapon, and it says um, it says that U.S. Senators Frank Church and John Terry examine. A CIA poison dart gun that causes cancer and heart attacks, according to U.S. Senate, Senate Select Committee's investigation, into the assassination plots of foreign leaders in 1975, it says at the start. And then it says it was a case destined for the X-Files and conspiracy theories alike when Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez speculated that the U.S. might have developed a way to weaponize cancer after several, several Latin American leaders were diagnosed with the disease. The list includes former Argentine pre- President Nestor Kirchner, colon cancer, Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff, lymphoma cancer, her predecessor Luis Inacio, Lula Silva, got throat cancer, Chavez, former Cuban President Fidel Castro, stomach cancer, Bolivian President Evo Morales, nasal cancer, Paraguayan President Fernando Lugo, lymphoma cancer. Says, what, what do they have in common besides cancer? All of them are left-wing leaders. Coincidence. In his December 28, 2011 end-of-the-year address to the Venezuelan military, Chavez hinted that the U.S. might have found a way to give Latin American leaders cancer. Now, we know, too, there's other techniques of giving them. You don't have to actually deliver stuff to them directly. Uh, remember, too, uh, <laughs> even with... Um, 
some of the recent people in the Middle East who've died of cancers as well, they've found out, uh, whereas before they simply had wasting diseases and so on, then when they exhumed the bodies, they find out they actually are pretty radioactive. So it says here, it says, would it be strange that they've invented the technology to spread cancer and we don't know about it for 50 years, Chavez asked. It's very hard to explain, even with the law of probabilities, what has been happening to some leaders in Latin America. It's at the very least strange, he said. Chavez received warning from Cuba's former leader, Fidel Castro, who has survived hundreds of unsuccessful assassination attempts. Fidel always told me, Chavez, take care. These people have developed technology. You're very careless. Take what you eat what they give you to eat, a little needle, and they inject you with uh, what I don't know, he says. Be careful about everything. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about really the art of assassination and poisoners and so on, which is a very ancient art indeed, very, very ancient. And see, all the way from Rome, there's lots of uh, writings to do with certain powerful families where even one of the mothers started killing off her next of kin using various poisons and so on, very old system. And royalty, especially when they were in charge, were very, very into poisonings, etc. That's why they had their own official uh, food tasters and wine tasters, because they couldn't trust anybody else either. It was such a common thing to be poisoned by a, a usurper. And as I say, there's a whole regime basically uh, run on systems where specialists, all countries have them, specialists are, are going to the art of assassination and death. It's quite the, the interest they have in, in morbidity indeed. But the fact is it's used. And there's many ways to induce cancers especially. We know that um, Yasser Arafat, uh, it turned out it wasn't just rumours that he'd been poisoned with radiation. They exhumed the body for polo- and they found polonium in it, a very reactive substance used by especially one intelligence agency. And it's been used by the same intelligence, intelligence on other people as well. So it says anyway here, uh, sounds far-fetched. WikiLeaks reported in 2008 the American Central Intelligence Agency asked its embassy in Paraguay to collect all biometric data, including the DNA of all four presidential candidates. Here, this is in the Caribbean conspiracy, theorists believe that the CIA also had a hand in the deaths of TNT's own civil rights activist and pan-Africanist Kwame Turi, Jamaica's legendary right radio icon Bob Marley and Dominican Prime Minister Rosie Douglas. And it says, um, during the United States Senate Select Committee investigation into the CIA's assassination plots on foreign leaders in 1975, it was revealed that the agency had developed a poison dart gun that caused heart attacks and cancer. The gun fired a frozen liquid poison-tipped dart the width of a human hair and a quarter of an inch long that could penetrate clothing and it was almost undetectable and left no trace in the victim's body. Kramaturi or Stokely Carmichael, the radical former Black Panther leader who inaugurated the Black Panther movement of the 60s, went to his death claiming the CIA had poisoned him with cancer. Turi died of prostate cancer at the age of 57 in 1998. His friend, multimedia artist and activist Wayne Rafiki Morris said, Tour said without equivocation that the CIA gave him cancer. 
He says, I knew Kwame from 76, and for all the time I knew him, he never drank or smoked cigarettes. Uh, Morris said he was a very good swimmer and exercised regularly, and he didn't have any medical condition and was very conscious of his health. And it says, if the shoe fits, it says, Bob Marley died of melanoma cancer in 1981. He was 36 years old. The official report is he contracted cancer after injuring his toe, which never healed while playing football in 1977. The conspiracy theorists allege that Marley was given a pair of boots with a piece of copper wire inside that was coated with a carcinogenic substance that pricked his big toe by Carl Colby, son of the late CIA director William Colby. There's an eerie similarity between Marley and Castro involved involving poisoned shoes. Cuban ambassador to TNT, Humberto Rivero, said the CIA and the Cuban exiles tried uh, more than 600 attempts, 600 attempts to kill Castro from exploding cigars, injecting him with cancer to a wetsuit lined with poison. In the case of Marley, the CIA allegedly used cancer in his shoes. For Castro, they placed a highly toxic poison, thallium salts, in his shoes. After only eight months being elected Prime Minister of Dominica, uh, radical politician Rosie Douglas was found dead on the floor of his residence in 2000. The cause of death was listed as a result of a massive heart attack, his heart was twice its normal size. Just like Turian Marley, he exercised regularly. Douglas' eldest son, Cabral, insisted that his father had been murdered and also hinted at the involvement of the CIA. Moshud Abiola, the man uh, widely believed to have won the 93 elections in Nigeria, was reported to have died of a heart attack as he was given a cocktail which expanded his heart to twice its size in 1998. Jack Ruby, his name was Rubenstein, I think Ruby called him, the assassin who killed the pres- U.S. President John Kennedy's alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, died from lung cancer in 1967. What was strange was the cancer cells were not the type that originate in the respiratory system. He told his family he was injected with cancer cells in prison when he was treated with shots for a cold. He died just before he was tested to testify before Congress. The Lockerbie bomber, uh, Abdel Bassett al-Magrahi, developed terminal cancer. The leader of Canada's left-leaning opposition party, the New Democratic Party, Jack Layton, died from an undisclosed form of cancer in 2011. It will appear that having leftist tendencies are hardest a person's health. From 1953, the Russians were using microwaves to attack the U.S. Embassy staff in Moscow, Russia. One-third of the staff eventually died of cancer from this microwave irradiation. Imagine how advanced and sophisticated assassination technology has become today. And it's true that about the, the Moscow using the microwave, they even had the wind. It first came out with headaches in the office, the U.S. Embassy. And it turned out that when they tested the window panes uh, with sensitive equipment, they were vibrating at a very high-pitched sound. It was definitely, definitely from microwave radiation. And they were told just to keep on taking aspirins and so on for the headaches. But anyway, a lot of them died of cancers. And also, too, they have field guns, look just like little uh, small uh, rifles, which they can aim at a person for a long enough time through their window from any distance away, line of sight. Could be even a mile away, it wouldn't matter. And they can, they can actually kill you that way, too. So the whole art, you see, of assassination in this day and age is that there'd be nothing left to prove. You might have all the clues, but you can't prove something. But it does go on all the time. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the world we live in, uh, not the one that's projected to us via the media, mainly, uh, or told what to think. We, we think for ourselves, hopefully, and we try and get information on things that are beyond the, the regular media to find out what's going on in every area, of course. It's so, so important. It used to be a natural thing to do for all peoples that were sentient, but we've all been dumbed down. We've all had indoctrination processes put into us, so very efficient ones, too. Most folk can't think outside the box. But here's an article here, too, with countries that are utterly broke, of course. And the bankers love this because it's part of the whole system. They live on, on debt and interest. So the more debt they get, the, the, the more assured they are that maybe 20 years down the road, 20 generations down the road, they'll still be in, in charge. Their own children will be taking over the banking system, you see, generation after generation. But uh, here's Britain again tossing cash away, supposedly, is the kind of people are dying like crazy because it's called fuel poverty now in Britain where pensioners people can't afford fuel to heat themselves. But says Britain has committed £88 million towards the construction of the world's largest telescope. The huge observatory to be built in the Chilean Andes will allow astronomers to capture images of the universe's earliest moments. And anyway, it says here, that um, the total cost will be around 1 billion euros, that's 900 million pounds, uh, to build. Its main mirror will, be, will gather light from distant stars and galaxies, will be 39 meters in diameter, and etc., etc. But it says it will gather more, 15 times more than light than the largest telescopes today. What the article doesn't tell you is that since they started daily spraying uh, in 1998 across the world, they actually, NASA officially says we now have global dimming. Now the whole idea of this geoengineering is that once you have a loading dose, that's a, like the main dose build up, you'll see it for months and years in spring, spring, but they actually end up getting a build up in the stratosphere and it, it cuts out the, 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 the light coming to earth. It's called global dimming. That's official. We have that for years. And they admit that we've got global dimming now. And it should be a beautiful thing at night, especially where I live, to go out at night and watch the stars, billions of them. And uh, it's the most enjoyable thing you could have, uh, no matter how bad the news happened to be about different things. You could always watch the sky at night. And in 2005, then 2006, that was the last good sky I saw at night. Since then, it's it's dull. It doesn't matter if it's been fairly clear all day, but apart from the spring in the skies, uh, you can see the brightest stars only. So now you see they're building all the big telescopes in the highest mountains than ever with special wide lenses and, and so on mirrors to capture as much light as possible because of the global dimming. doesn't mention that in the article here that I'll put up tonight. It's, it's the usual rah-rah thing. Don't think about the cost or where the money could go to better use. Just think about how wonderful it will be for science. So that's how it really is, folks. And also, uh, this article too came out, and Britain's a mess now with massive migration. As I say, they're all coming into Britain because even under the treaty, all the countries in Europe are supposed to allow all these different immigrants in to work. But they're not. But Britain is, you see. So they're flooding into Britain. And this professor says his 13,000 EU migrants report, which was done back in 2003, I think, uh, was misinterpreted. Not that it was wrong, it's been misinterpreted. 
She said, economists would have predicted that the opening UK borders to allow 10 new EU countries in 2004 would increase the population by 13,000 a year, as accused MPs of misrepresenting his figures. Politicians have said the forecast was spectacularly wrong and laughable. But Professor Christian Dustman believes none can have read his 2003 report. He said it made clear immigration would be much higher if, as it happened, Germany and other countries decided to curb access to the labour markets. He told the BBC that time he was compiling the port, which was commissioned by the Home Office, everybody expected that other countries, in particular Germany, would likewise open up their labour markets to immigrants. Although some Conservative MPs voiced fears when the report was published in June 2003 that Germany would seek to impose restrictions and call for the UK to do likewise, Germany did not confirm its plans with the EU Commission until November 2003. So it says in the end of the 15 prior member states, only the UK, Ireland and Sweden fully opened their borders to nations of the 10 states that joined the EU in May 2004 which included Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary. But believe you me, it's not because the leaders of the other countries said no. They all work and take orders from the EU Parliament. There's a big agenda here, and certain countries must be overloaded and deculturalized before the rest. That's the reason for it, folks. Eric Holder, again, admits some banks are just too big to prosecute. Now, that's, that's rubbish, as we all know. Utter rubbish. But uh, it's, giving them, it's giving them license to do it again, as you all know. Banks generally, the banking system has generally plundered the populations of all countries and caused depressions at least twice a century. That's how they do it. That's their record. This is when the Attorney General of the U.S. admits some banks are simply too big to prosecute. It might be the time to admit we have a problem, and that goes for both the financial and justice systems. Eric Holder made his, this rowing startling confession and testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday the Hill reports it could be a key moment in the debate over whether to do something about the size and complexity of our biggest banks, which have only gotten bigger and more systemically important uh, since the financial crisis. I'm concerned that the size of some of those institutions becomes so large it does become difficult for us to prosecute them when we are hit with implications that if you do prosecute, if you do pr- bring a criminal charge, it will have a negative impact on the national economy perhaps even the world economy. Well, you see, they should never be allowed to get in such a position in the first darn place. It's done because the big boys run the countries, and they run the governments. The bankers run the governments. Holder said, according to The Hill, and I think this is a function of the fact that some of these institutions have become too large, like they've just noticed. His comments, comments don't come as a total surprise. His underlings had already made similar confessions to the New York Times last year after they declined to prosecute HSBC for flagrant years-long violations of money laundering laws (laughs) out of fear that doing so would hurt the global economy. Uh, Larry Brewer, formerly in charge of doling out the Justice Department's risk slaps to banks, told Frontline as much in the documentary The Untouchables, which aired in January. Some observers have defended the Justice Department, suggesting that prosecuting law-breaking banks would amount to a death penalty that could upset the financial system and trigger another recession. Well, why not do it like, like Iceland did? It's their fault. Let them go under. Don't give them a penny. In fact, imprison them. Imprison them. They knew what they were doing. They were counting on not being prosecuted. They had meetings about it years before they crashed the banks. Put them in prison. And again, stop uh, borrowing from banks. 
government should not be borrowing from banks. Very simple. But of course, everything else has to be revamped too. All this foreign aid and all the rest of it, this big con. Uh, government should not be in the business of lending cash out to other countries or giving it in cash grants either, for that matter. Anyway, Holder's confession comes after several weeks of criticism from lawmakers about the Justice Department's failure to prosecute banks not only for potentially hard-to-prove cases involving in crisis, but also for cases in which proof wasn't as hard to find. So there's plenty of proof there. It's significant that Holder's confession, the cry for help, really comes at one place that could possibly help the U.S. Congress as a joke. So now you have, to, you have the Obama administration joining a growing bipartisan group of lawmakers speaking out about the problem of banks being too big to fail and or jail. But not, nobody's too big to jail. Senators Sherrod Brown and David Vitter last week announced they were working together on bipartisan legislation to address it. Well, they should deal with it. But it won't happen, folks. It won't happen. Also, one of the abortion doctors that was caught uh, doing some amazing types of abortions, really, has to go on trial over murders. And it says here, um, Dr. Kermit Gosnell was arrested three years ago after his West Philadelphia clinic was raided. Prosecutors have decided a filthy house of horrors where agents found fetal body parts in glass jars and in refrigerators alongside the staff's lunches. The 72-year-old later pleaded not guilty to killing a pregnant refugee, a 41-year-old Karnamaya Mongar, and seven viable newborns. For 40 years, he saw himself as a medical missionary. It's a missionary, the slaughterman, in the poor neighborhood, treating women who could not get abortions elsewhere. Karnamaya Mongar died after being treated at the clinic. He also made millions of dollars, both from the late-term abortions and prescriptions for addictive painkillers. I feel that in the long term I will be vindicated, he told the Philadelphia Daily News. This is a psychopath talking here. I aspire to perfection, certainly for my patients, he says. But some of those patients were left with infections, perforated bowels, and other injuries after barbaric abortions were allegedly performed by untrained and unlicensed staff. All but one of the nine workers arrested with Dr. Gosnell pleaded guilty, three of them to third-degree murder. One told, one told how they used scissors to snip the spines of more than a hundred babies born alive while assisting in the operations. That's what they're all pushing for now, too, by the way, as post, you know, birth abortion, death. They kill them. Even this late term abortion actually stick the scissors in their head. This is our humane society. And look at all the ultra feminist weirdos that are out there pushing for this stuff. Horror. If they push for this stuff, believe you me, they'll push for the death of many other folk who oppose them. The doctor's third wife, Pearl, a cosmetologist, pleaded guilty to performing an illegal late-term abortion and other charges. And July's selection is due to start Monday in the case which potentially carries a death sentence. So, another house of horrors. They've got lots of them around. But they only care about women's health issues. That's what the UN says too, isn't it? As they go across the world... You know, slaughtering children. And he's a, he's a turn up for the books. Jordan will decide next month which group of, of companies will build two nuclear reactors. The kingdom's first as part of a strategy to become energy efficient. The kingdom will pick Russia's Rosatom or France's Arriva and Japan's Mitsubishi to build the IGW reactors will cost 12 billion euros. The Financial Times reported citing 
said Khaled Tukin, chairman of the Jordan Atomic Energy Commission. Jordan imports more than 90% of all its energy needs, the daily equivalent of 100,000 barrels of oil a day, and relies on foreign grants to finance its current account and fiscal deficits. The kingdom, uh, until recently, was dependent on Egypt for its gas supply, which has caused its public debt to soar. Jordan's public debt rose 20.7% to $16.5 billion, or about 75% of gross domestic product last year. In parallel to its pursuit of nuclear energy, the kingdom is also looking at shale extraction. Jordan has the world's fourth largest reserves of oil shale, the organic rich fine-grained sedimentary rock from which liquid hydrocarbons, shale oil, can be produced. So they want you frack it all. Shale oil is a substitute for conventional crude oil, which the oil can can also be burned directly for power production, similar to coal. And of course, it's okay if they do it right next to Israel because they're no threat at all whatsoever. And so they're getting to do it. And this one here, too, is uh, to do with... Uh, <laughs> it's an article about the, the, the Black Death, you know, the plague. And it comes from Foreign Policy magazine, where they're basically saying that uh, a massive coal rate by wiping out workers and so on is good for wages. That That's his bottom line. It's good for wages because the more labor is a shortage becomes, uh, the higher the wages go. So it's good to kill them all off to get higher wages. So there's a turn up for the books. And also this one here too. <laughs> Poor old Greasy, as it gets, again, <laughs> slaughtered by these, these uh, this cabal, uh, very closely knit cabal, by the way, of bankers. Uh, and remember, Greece too was got into the EU because it was... It was uh, Goldman Sachs that did their books and says they were great, ideal, and that's how the Greeks got in. So Goldman Sachs fudged all their books, but they actually had lots of debt. They said it was okay. It was okay. Anyway, that was all planned that way because I'm sure Goldman Sachs is part of the destruction of Greece. Get them into it, knowing they're going to collapse, then a lot of their own members go and buy all the, the bank, all their islands up. It says the. Qatari Emir, the Emir of Qatari, buys six Greek islands for a song. It says here that uh, the suitors are one of the world's wealthiest men. The locations happen to be the Eurozone's poorest country. But in an unlikely coming together of economic circumstances, the Emir of Qatar, Hamad bin Khalifa Al Thani, has opted to splash out 8.5 million euros, which is 7.35 million pounds on six idyllic isles in the Ionian Sea. Closure of the deal, the latest in global shopping spree that's seen the Sheik's property portfolio spread from London to Beijing, has been met with glee in Greece, the West's most bankrupt state, and Doha, where the royal household experienced 18 months of excruciating drama to take possession of the outcrops. Greece is that kind of place, said Ionis Cassianos, Ithaca's straight-talking Greek-American uh, mayor. They're all Greek-American mayors or... or, or, or <laughs> Or, or even presidents. Even when you buy me a, a, an island, even if you are the Emir of Qatar, it takes a year and a half for all the paperwork to go through. The is known as the Echinades, uh, Cots, the oil-rich monarch's finance fancy when he moved to super yacht in the turquoise waters of Ithaca, took in the view and liked what he saw. That was four years ago. So there you go. If you've got the cash, you can buy up islands that really belong to uh, people that are getting sunk by bankers again. And this article too, should we be, should we use big data to punish crimes before they're committed? This is welcome to a future in which big data helps law enforcement predict and punish crime before it happens, like Minority Report. 
as says John Anderson, the chief of a special unit in Washington, D.C. This particular morning, he burst into a suburban house moments before Howard Marks, in a state of frenzied rage, is about to plunge a pair of scissors into the torso of his wife, whom he found in bed with another man. For Anderton, it is just another day preventing capital crimes by mandate of the District of Columbia's pre-crime division. Pre-crime division, he recites. It says, other cops start restraining marks who screams I did nothing, didn't do anything. The opening scene of the film, this is Minority Report, depicts a society in which predictions seem so accurate that the police arrest individuals for crimes before they're committed. People are imprisoned not for what they did, but what they are foreseen to do, even though they never actually commit the crime. So, of course, big data is on track to bring countless benefits to society. It will be a cornerstone for improving everything from healthcare to education. You will count on it to address global challenges, be it climate change, oh God, or poverty. And that's to say nothing about how business can tap big data and the gains for economies. The benefits are just as outsized as a data set. You need to be conscious of the dark side of the big data too. Already we see the seedlings of minority reports, predictions penalizing people. Parole boards in more than half of all U.S. states use predictions funded on data analysis as a factor in deciding where to release somebody from prison or to keep him incarcerated. A, a growing number of places in the U.S., from precincts in Los Angeles to cities like Richmond, Virginia, employ predictive policing using big data analysis to select what street groups and individuals are subject to extra scrutiny simply because an algorithm pointed to them as more likely to commit a crime. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. For those who remember Hans Blix, who was a UN weapons specialist, especially in nuclear areas and biological warfare, he was a guy sent into Iraq before they went in and blasted all the pieces. And he said that there was no evidence whatsoever of weapons of mass destruction. He said it many, many times. It didn't matter because the Bush regime, the neocons we'll call them, uh, and Israel too had the same list. The PNAC group in Israel had the same list of countries they wanted taken out regardless. And all the ones we've taken out so far over the last few years have, have, were on the list. The only one they haven't done yet is Iran. Anyway, he's on about Iran now when he says, it says the threat of a nuclear armed Iran is overhyped and there's no evidence suggesting the country has or intends to produce weapons of mass destruction. A UN expert on the nuclear non-proliferation treaty says at the forum in Dubai Tuesday, Dr. Hans Blick, head of the United Nations Monitoring Verification and Inspection Commission, said during a talk at the Capitol Club uh, that with North Korea making a nuclear bomb test detonation, the world should focus more on tackling the state that has violated the non-proliferation treaty. So far, Iran has not violated the NPT, and there's no evidence right now that suggests that Iran is producing nuclear weapons. The fact that Tehran has enriched uranium up to 20% leads to suspicion of a secret weapons program. However, no action can be justified on mere suspicions or intentions that may not exist, said Dr. Blix, who is the former Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency. And um, it says, too, in a way, the Iranians have been more open to international inspections than most other countries would be under the circumstances of getting accused all the time. It won't matter. It won't matter. You see, it's on the list. It's on Israel's list. It's on the, it's on the U.S. group's list as well. 
that kind of has to be taken out. And this article too is to do with, uh, we've all talked about aerial spraying, aerial spraying, aerial spraying, and, and the geologists uh, that put in the media keep saying, well, we're go- one day we're going to do it, you know, we're going to test things. Well, we've mentioned before, you have aluminum oxide, barium, they've even had strontium in some cases too, uh, which I'm sure will bring the population down quickly, but also you get various things, uh, other things in it too. And this article is about sulfur. This is high hopes for Norfolk in England. It's art, they wanted to do an artificial type volcano stuff and, and fight against climate change. This is as Steve Corns decides in there. So this is here that, um, a diffused airfield Norfolk will become the focus of a controversial scientific experiment. It's amazing how they always spray this stuff around Norfolk, even when they were doing the other stuff years ago in the 60s and 70s, I mentioned from the Navy, unleashing all these gases that went across Norfolk and actually had this cancerous stuff too. Anyway, it says, it said, this year's airfield in Norfolk become the most focus point of a controversial scientific experiment to see whether it's feasible to engineer the climate by cooling the planet with a simulated volcanic, volcanic eruption. The scientists and engineers plan to test geoengineering idea at Skullthorpe Airfield near Fockenham next month by launching helium-filled balloons there to a strengthened hosepipe which will spray tap water into the air at a height of one kilometre. The project is one of the first geoengineering field trials in the world, apart from all the ones that they've been doing regularly, and could result in the deployment of a fleet of up to 20 giant balloons, each the size of Wembley Stadium, injecting million tons of sulfate, sulfate particles. That's going to really affect people. It already is, because they are spraying it, actually. It's in the, the stuff that we've got analysed here. Sulfur, sulfate particles at the height of 20 kilometres into the stratosphere to reflect sunlight back into space. The way you see the health effects is over the folk over Norwalk. North Norfolk are really going to get it big time. Doesn't matter, we're all peons at the bottom. It's all it's all for science, you know. And depopulation. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>